Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If to keep your head above water and continue to have oxygen in your lungs is fueled by anger and defiance and you can stay healthy, then do what works for you. My name is Datavio Samuels and welcome to The Black Print where I sit with the innovators, disruptors, and change makers, laying the groundwork for the next generation of cultural leaders. This is the Black Print. Caroline Wonga, welcome to the Black Print Queen. I'm so happy to have you here. Listen, the honor is mine. And when you call something the Black Print, that's just got a place I got to get to. Well, look, when I was thinking about who to have a conversation with, the Black Print is where we talk to disruptors, innovators, design thinkers. And when I thought about who we should have a conversation with, of course, you were top of mind. And uh, my favorite quote when we talk about this show is everybody sees you on the mountaintop. Nobody sees you on the climb. Here's where we had that conversation about the climb. So we're going to jump into your your back. So everybody knows that you the woman running (laughs) Essence, where 31 million black women call home. Everybody knows that, but but people don't know the journey. So let's talk about the journey. Let's talk about it. Before I do that real quick, I have to say, you have a quote that you drop all of the time, which Mm -hmm. is you wear where you are. I do. I just want everyone to know this ain't the way that I dress, Which but I knew that my sister was going to come fly. So, you on. know, I got my Andre 3000 Listen. on. I'm aware where I am and where I am is with my sister. And you know what? I'm so honored. And I know it's Andre 3000, but right now it's all the time of you. I approve. This is dope. This, you look dope as hell. And I appreciate that. I did my best to create the, the physical manifestation of the quote. Yeah. But before we get into the journey, can yeah. you tell us what does the quote actually mean to you? It's a very, it's a very important thing, right? I think people consider clothing to be an aesthetic Mm. and accessory, but I think those of us that sit in creative spaces and in disruptive spaces, we know what clothing does to the way that you feel when you enter a space. Mm. And so when I say I wear W E A R Mm. where I am W H E R E, Mm. it is part of what I do with my aesthetic is make sure that it feels aligned to where I may be mentally where I may be physically, where I may be emotionally, where I may be spiritually. Mm. And what I do is allow both my creativity. I don't use stylus or anything. It's just my own little game with myself. It's my only creative hobby. I can't plant nothing. I can't color. <laughs> I can't do any of that. But it really is. It's a part of the journey that gives me the armor, mm. the confidence and the energy to do the disruption. Mm. And when I feel like I'm wearing, this could be everything from a body harness to a shield, mm-hmm. right? And so it becomes a big part of defining where I am. And so when I have to be in a space mentally, physically, or spiritually, how do I want to dress so that I manifest the purpose I'm supposed to bring life in that space at the maximum? You can't say all that without me asking you. Yes, sir. Where are you now? When you were walking into yeah. this space and you got dressed in yeah. this attire, where were you? Where was I was your going mom? to see a fellow chief of the tribe. Mm. I was coming to see. A I was like, "Ooh, that's me!" The- yeah, 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 yeah. This is the chief. Yeah, this is the chief. But, but, and, and I say that to you because even as I was packing to come to come to Atlanta to visit with you, literally. So this is a body harness by a woman named True Face by Grace, mm. and she also did the hat. And as I was thinking about coming to you. I was thinking about, I am going to sit with my brother, who is one of the fellow chiefs of a fellow tribe. And I'm going to sit with him in what feels like tribal attire Mm. to me. And the black print, the color black, in my mind, is the presence of all colors, Mm. not the absence of color. And so for me, I was like, what I'm going to fill the room in when I get to sit with my brother Mm. chief is color. 
So that's how today came to be, because where I am is with the vibe of your tribe. Mm. And I am so proud of you mm. for what you've accomplished. And we sit in this space together and I couldn't be more honored to come spend time mm. with you today. Thank you. It's like yeah. shivers going through my body, but it is um, so much of what, what we as a people need to do. I stepped into this mm. space thinking about my queen and my sister yeah. and my sister stepped into yeah. the space thinking about me. And if we as black people just do that every I single mean, day, I mean, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we're with the world. Okay. All right. Let's, no, let's, that's, a, that's the next part. That's, yeah, that's a whole different. So let's jump into your yes. story because your story is amazing. You have an incredible story about how you were, um, came from Africa to this country, mm -hmm. single mom, and now you are running one of the baddest black owned yeah. media brands, period. So let's go to the beginning, which yeah. is talk to me about your origin story. Where yeah. were you born? So Caroline is a Kenyan girl. Mm -hmm. I was born in Kenya. Um, and I share that because I grew up in an environment and in a space where what I looked like was not a barrier to what I could be. Mm -hmm. What was indoctrinated into me was I literally can be whatever I want. Everybody looked like me, the police officer, the prostitute, the president and the pastor. They all look like me. Right. So what I wanted to be and do, which was instilled in me by my parents, was literally a matter of how much I wanted to turn the volume up and down on my own aptitude. It was fully within my control. And so I had the privilege of thinking I could be anything I wanted. I just needed to choose. Right. And so I operated in that um, with two parents who have their PhDs. I mean, that, that was a, that's a high floor. Right. To try to Bars get to I yeah. mean, up there. Yeah. And so for me, that's where I started. And then because of my parents pursuit of education, we ended up in the States. In the state of Minnesota, mm. started at the equator and ended oh, up there. So, so, whole, so, 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 mm. talk to me. So, you're okay. coming like, you know, look, Revolt moved to Atlanta because we very much see it as a black Wakanda. Everything you just said, the mayor black. The yeah, doctor, everybody black. black. I like how you said the prostitutes. The prostitutes, like, like, literally, everybody's black, right? Yes. What was it like going from a space that was full of blackness where you could see black affluence, black excellence, yeah. um, to then come to Minnesota? What was Traumatic. that? Mm, tell me. So I come to a place where people not only don't look like me, mm. but I don't know what I'm supposed to look like. Mm. Right. I don't know what we'll do. And I came in junior high, which everybody deserve a ribbon for getting through junior high. It's just <laughs> the gauntlet of life. Like we straight mean as hell in junior high. And then we hard as hell in junior high. Like junior high is just like, I think you're supposed to pass that to be a human. But I came in junior mm. high. I was 5'8 at the age of 11. Mm. I'm somewhere between a tenor and an alto. I had these weird clothes. My food in my house smelled funny. Mm. Um, I was smart. I had the confidence of coming from a place where people knew who I was and I could do anything. And I came here and everything that I had been taught to use to propel me brought pain. Mm. Articulating my intelligence got ridicule from the other kids at school. And so I started to play dumb. Mm. The way that I dressed was ridiculed because it wasn't on trend. So I, I remember I stole some girl's shorts from her locker one day just to make it home. I literally had an accent. I remember practicing losing my accent. Mm. The last word I learned how to say without an accent was the word purple. Mm. Say it again. Purple. I used mm. to say it, purple. Mm. It, that was the last, like that word would expose me. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, I didn't even say the word purple because I couldn't get rid of the accent in it. Mm. I also started to not want to tell people anything about who my family was. Mm what my dad did, what we did. I just, I started to live life in a way where successful Dave was not being noticed mm. at all mm. because everything that got me noticed hurt. Mm. And it was such a big contrast from what I had grown up in. And so it, it created two Carolines, mm. Like there was kind of like a split that happened at that point. There was Caroline and her lineage. And then there was Caroline survival. Mm. And I chose survival. Um, and so junior high was a journey in make, doing my best every day not to be noticed. Um, I did junior high there. Um, as I went into high school, I found sports. So I did 
uh, volleyball, basketball, track. I did basketball under duress because I was tall and they wanted me just to rebound and them big girls in the paint came from my spleen every day, but that's another podcast too. And and so I did sports and that gave me a grounding for confidence. Mm. But when I wasn't on a court or a field, I still felt like I had to survive because I didn't feel like the people who were showing me positive feelings were genuine. They just liked me because I was good at sports. Mm. And so, but that gave me at least an outlet. And then I graduated from high school Opportunity is not equally distributed. To every black entrepreneur listening, I want to make sure you have the tools and resources you need to grab your next opportunity. That's why I'm telling you about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start grow and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030 driving wealth creation for the black community out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the u.s only 2.3 percent have black ownership this program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field from free business coaching to tailored training and an extended free shopify trial shopify's made a 10-year multi-million dollar commitment to the program and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group says, the 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash blackprint, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash blackprint. And started college and I was going to be an Olympic heptathlete. I know the snacks and groceries don't look like it, but I was nice at that point in time <laughs> in my life. And, and I was going to be an Olympic heptathlete. And I started college on a track scholarship in my first semester of college. I got pregnant. Mm -hmm. So um, I definitely want to dive into the pregnancy piece. But really quickly, um, a lot of the story you just told is a story that I think happens to so many of us and we don't know it. Yeah. You were able to see it because you came from Africa and you saw the transition at 10 and on. So many of us, they have, they have made us feel invisible from the time we were yeah. born. So many of us, they made us feel like we didn't matter from the time that we were born. Um, is sports the one thing in middle school and high school that helped you develop confidence? Is sports the one thing? Like I'm always trying to figure out how do our young black people combat this idea that the world would make them seem like they are invisible. Um, were you able to overcome that while you were in middle school, high school, and then was sports the way to do it? You know, I think I, I love this question, right? Because I think the first thing I would say is what I don't think we have taught ourselves well mm -hmm. as a community is how you don't have to be strong every day. Someday you just choose to survive and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like some days the win is that you made it through. Like you don't have to be a superhero every day. So when you ask me with sports, what gave me confidence and the way you asked the question just shifted my thinking. No, it's what helped me survive while I wasn't confident. Mm. It was just enough oxygen to breathe. Mm. On the other side of sports was death, mm. death of personality, death of person, death mm. of spirit, death of, of, of value. So mm. for me, sports was a buoy. Mm -hmm. It kept me afloat mm -hmm. while the universe was doing what it needed to do mm -hmm. with my future. And so sports was never mm -hmm. the deliverer of confidence. It was the survival of lack of confidence until I could figure out what I really needed to do to feel confident when I wasn't on a court. And that's why I'm distinguishing it because it only felt, I only felt confident when I was on the court. Mm -hmm. It wasn't translating to other parts of my life. And so it was the oxygen mask Yeah, until I could get to breathe on my own. I love it because we're in a time of so much chaos, so much wildness. And we talked about our people are dealing with everything from depression to anxiety and yeah. this notion of you just have to make it through every day. Just keep going. Yeah. Find the thing or things that help you survive That's right. until you can find the things that That's help exactly you thrive. Right. Exactly right. I love that. Okay. So now we're in college. We're in college. Um, we have disappointed the world by getting pregnant. Okay. But I didn't want to be with. Okay. 
<laughs> so talk about it. Remember I told you my parents are PhDs, right? Mm-hmm. Which there will be no more Dr. Mongas in the world. Then I got an honorary doctor. I had to eat my words. But <laughs> um, I literally had not planned, like none of us planned to be pregnant. Somebody, but I, like, it was a surprise mm. and I had choices and I chose to keep it. But I remember, I remember another period of feeling a different kind of not confident because what started to happen is with all of these aspirations I had and the aspirations my family had, people started to renegotiate my potential without my permission. Mm. I understand it in hindsight as love. It didn't feel that way in the moment. So people started to do like passive aggressive stuff where they'd be like, well, well now you can do this. Mm. I'm like, but yesterday you thought I could win a gold medal mm. today. You're telling me to go try to open a daycare because I have a child. Oh, they put a discount on it. They were, they be- literally, mm. it was like, so you were going this way. Now we think you need to go this way. And nobody would tell it to me, but they would say things that didn't feel like how you talked to me yesterday. Mm. And so like, Literally, like you spend each day and you're listening to people not say what they really want to say, but you can feel their intent. And so when people are like, well, I guess you have to go to community college. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you're never going to get to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you're smart, but you might just have to take a job where being smart doesn't matter. Like people would say things like that. And what I watched people do was, was take away Mm. what I was capable of doing because a life was coming into the world. Mm. And I was too young to, I mean, I was 17 and I don't know anybody that's a genius at 17. So, you know, we make stupid Mm -hmm, conclusions, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to process it. So basically what it became was defiance. Mm. I got blinded survival. I, I spent the next many, many years being blinded to how hard I was working to just defeat the renegotiation of my potential. Mm. So I was fueled by anger and shame and proving people wrong. Mm. I remember I told my mom I was pregnant in a fight about washing dishes and I walked in. (laughs) The fight was stupid. I was supposed to be washing the dishes. I didn't want to like there was everybody's been in that. But I remember I went into my room and I was like, that's why I'm pregnant. And I slammed the door. Please don't. (laughs) That was the first time you dropped it. That was the first time I dropped it because I was afraid. Mm. And so I dropped out of college because I was determined to raise her with nobody's help, which didn't work. Mm. I needed the village and they were there. And I, I, the only thing I knew I could do as a job was go back to a place where I'd been a summer camp counselor and asked them if they had a job to help me take care of this little girl. Mm. So they did, they had an after school program. And so I started a career nonprofit doing youth development programs. You know why? Mm. Cause I Cause could bring my daughter with me mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I could bring her with me. I'm dealing with a bunch of junior hires here. Here's a little seven year old for to entertain you back. Right? Like she could come with me. So I built a seven year career in nonprofit. And then I started to hear Caroline, gosh, you could be the executive director if you had a degree. So here's that thing again, right? And I probably got about 22 ghost transcripts in Minnesota from all the times I tried to go to college and it just never worked with my life. And so I started to have my ceiling be capped. You know, there's a, there's a part of our lives that is always about either a sticky floor or a broken ladder or a glass ceiling. It doesn't matter which one matters. So I started to see the ceiling be put on me related to not having a degree, but being fully capable of doing a job. So I was mad about it. I was involved with the local NAACP in Minneapolis and found out about a historically black college in the booming metropolis of Tyler, Texas, halfway between Shreveport and Dallas. Okay. <laughs> and the thing about the program that spoke to me was they had taken some government grants and created a single parent support system program. It wasn't free, but they would have a van to take your kids to school. They would have um, your child could live in the dorm with you at no extra cost. There was an after-school program on campus. They could eat in the cafeteria with you. So all the things that had made it hard to go to school as a single mom, they solved, which that's what black colleges do. That's what black culture does, right? And so I was so determined to defy this idea of I couldn't get promoted without a degree that I literally, literally visited in October, left in January. Knew nobody in the state or the school, but I was so angry that people were telling me that I wasn't intelligent enough to get the job when I felt like I was smarter than the people in the job Mm. and that this little piece of paper would prove it, Mm. especially with parents who were PhDs. So I went back to school and I was so 
The experience was the experience of a lifetime. If you meet my daughter Cadence today, she says she went to Texas college too. Like from a, what it did for my life, I will forever be grateful. Where I was in the moment was angry and defiant. So much so that I did 21 credits per semester, including summers and did four years of school in two and a half years. Mm -hmm. I don't even know that that was a healthy decision. I think I was floating on defiance. And so I didn't plan to go back to nonprofit. I just went to get this degree in business and I ended up needing a summer internship because I was a business major. And every internship I'd looked at would separate me from my daughter for the summer. They were like, you can come to this internship, but we don't have place for kids. I wasn't excited about it. And then this company called Target had a distribution center in Tyler. And I knew Target, by the way, Target wasn't always sexy as sheep. We just called it something else. It was like Walmart, Kmart. They were more like that. And um, I decided to take the internship because it paid the most. And I wouldn't have had to get rid of my daughter for the summer. But I don't know jack squat about supply chain. Mm -hmm. So much of what you talked about was being powered by anger and defiance. There will be different schools of thoughts about whether it is better to be powered by emotions that are more connected to pleasantness and mm -hmm. light mm -hmm. and emotions that are connected to more unpleasant or what may, some people might define as a little on the darker side. Do you have a point of view on whether it is better to be driven by defiance, anger, it's me against everyone, or whether it's the other side that's positive, or it doesn't matter. As long as you have, as long as you got positive. something, yeah, yeah, hit me. Hit so, me. Here's, so here's what I would tell you. It depends on what keeps you healthy. In hindsight, I will tell you, there is no way I could have done that journey from a place of positivity. It wouldn't have worked. Those were not the messages I was receiving. That was not the environment I was existing in. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. You see this scar here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I used to go donate blood plasma to buy groceries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, that damn needle scar. It's still life. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tattooed for life. You got it. But I had to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. And that has nothing to do with whether or not my parents could take care of me. I rejected that because mm -hmm. I'm going to fix this. So for me, my perspective on your question is. All it has to be is healthy for you. So if functioning from a place of optimism and belief in a future and, and positivity works for you and you are whole and healthy as you do it, by all means, do it. Mm -hmm. If to keep your head above water and continue to have oxygen in your lungs is fueled by anger, and defiance and you can stay healthy, then do what works mm -hmm. for you. And I love your question because what often happens is there's an expected way mm -hmm. that society accepts to function mm -hmm. and then there's a way you're not. And often I would get people who would coach me like, don't look at it that way, Caroline, be optimistic. I make $20,000 a year and have a little girl to take yeah, care of. Like, yeah. don't tell me be positive unless you've given me another 40000 Yeah, where's the optimism coming from? And I'm, I'm not trying to say that you can't be happy, but happy isn't helping me right now. Because I got to feed this little girl. Cadence used to sleep on the floor while I wrote grants, while I worked till midnight writing grants. And she would sleep on the floor because I didn't have a computer at home. So I used the computer at work mm -hmm. and bringing her to work after she fell asleep after dinner was the way I got my work done and raised her. Judge me if you want to. People are like, well, you could have called somebody to take care of her. No, because all the people I would have had to call are the people who I didn't want to ask for help because I wanted to prove. They were great people, but I wanted to prove I didn't need them. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that neither one is right. I would just say the people who use one way don't force your way on others. Understand that the goal is personal health. And sometimes that's the lights on in a meal. Sometimes it's the lights on in a meal. So you said, judge me if you want. I want to know Caroline Wonga in that moment where she is 
a mother trying to take care of a daughter. She's got her daughter sleeping on the floor in the office. While, was Caroline judging herself? What was Caroline's perspective on Caroline back in those days? She will never be everything she was born to be. Mm. She has to sacrifice her own personal aspirations. Everything Caroline wants to be, she now has to make cadence be. I abdicated my right to thrive in the world mm. intentionally in a disappointed and sad manner, but in a convicted manner because of the choices that I made that brought a life into my life at 17. Mm -hmm. I owned that accountability. Mm -hmm. And so I was okay with the fact that the things, and this wasn't even about the Olympics that, you know, after two days, I wasn't eating the same way. That was gone real quick, especially when I was pregnant. But as she came into the world and I was determined to make up for everything that the world would tell me she wouldn't have because she didn't have married parents mm -hmm. and she had a mom who was a teenager and she, she get, what all those things became my personal justification for abdicating the right to better myself. I didn't even have goals. Mm. Everything I'm doing is now for this little girl, even, and for those people who are parents, they know this experience. Parents, you lose your name. And what I mean by that is, you don't have a name. You become Cadence's mom. Mm. You become Cadence's mom. They don't know not the little kids. They're like, hey, Cadence. <laughs> right? And it's a positive thing, but literally, I lost my complete identity. My daughter is a different last name. Mm. Her friends would call me by her last name, even mm. though we don't have the same name. They would greet me, hey, Mrs. D and I never corrected them mm. because it was more important for me for them to for Cadence to be comfortable than it was for me to correct them on what my life, like I abdicated. Mm. So when you say, did I judge myself? I was the judge and jury of myself mm. and I sentenced myself to motherhood mm. and the betterment of Cadence. Mm -hmm. And I abandoned goals mm. for me. I abandoned achievement. All I want to do was make more money so that I could buy the things that maybe she wouldn't be able to have because I was raising her alone. So I want you to take me back to this moment where you are 17 years old. You are high potential. The world is telling you that the world is your oyster. You've got the opportunity to, you know, people are seeing you as someone who can go to the Olympics, maybe win an Olympic gold medal. And then you find out that you are pregnant by someone who it sounds like you, you wouldn't have chosen to be pregnant by in that moment. I want you to go back to that moment when you discovered you were pregnant and tell me how it felt. So here's the hilarious story about how I found out I was pregnant, right? So I had had a boyfriend all through high school, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had one of those sweetheart boyfriends, right? He's actually deceased now, rest in peace. But, rest in peace. but, but I had, right? And so I was smelling myself when I came out of high school. Like, okay, you're like the high school boyfriend. Like, I love you, but you know, you go live your life. I'm out here to meet the world. You know, like that kind of swagger, right? Like I got a train, I'm on time, I'm going to college and find a track husband, right? Like I was in that mode, which was not negative. I just was like, I'm about to adult in this piece and I'm going to do it real well. And so I broke off that relationship and really hadn't planned to start another one, but met this dude. Right. And it was like a cool kicking dude. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. did cool kicking stuff. Right. <laughs> like it was never going to be anything like what? No love story. Right. Like, it was like, hey, I'm out of a relationship. What you doing? Like whatever. Right. And so it was never it was never going to, be, to be a forever. thing. Yeah. Right. We just were careless. And so literally. So I'll, I'll say as few details as possible because I want to identify anybody. But I went to the clinic with a friend of mine who thought she was pregnant. What? Okay. So I'm over here as a, <laughs> right, as a plus one at right, the clinic. Right, supporter. Right? <laughs> Trying to help my girl out. We had done like rock, paper, scissors on <laughs> whether or not she would be, right? But I'm here like, look, I got 10 minutes. Get your test together and then go tell your dude whether it's true, right? The woman comes out because we went to the clinic on the University of Minnesota campus, which was, I don't know why. So the woman comes out True story. And she looks at the two of us and she points at me and she goes, you're pregnant. And Nelly was like, mm -mm, her, she's the one that came to get tested. You're pregnant. I was like, mm -mm, she, she asked me my name. 
are you Caroline Wanga? I said, I am. She said, is this your birthday? I said, it is. You are pregnant. Mm. So when I tell you that I didn't have that moment, it's like, ooh, I'm nauseous. Completely oblivious. So here I am. I went to an appointment with my friend. And I came out finding out I was pregnant in my first semester of college. Mm. I remember the first thing I did is went to the payphone and called him. And I was like, you're having another kid. And I literally hung up. Because mm. I, like, I hadn't had time to practice. Like, this ain't that after school movie special where I had time to think about it and put the speech together. I didn't think I was pregnant. Mm. So I called him and told him you have another kid. And I think I may have said something like, but you can decide if you want to help raise her. Like, holler at your girl, right? Like, I just, I was in shock. And then I remember I didn't say much about it. And then I told you about the moment when I told my mom. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then we communicated it to other people. What I will tell you happened between the moment that I found out I was Mm -hmm. pregnant and kind of the moment I decided what I wanted to do, I became obsessed with nobody's ever going to want me. Mm. I gave up on the idea that I would ever have a husband. What man would want to marry a woman? who was promiscuous enough to have a child at 17. Who, who's going to let you be an executive as a teenage mother? Um, no Olympian does this. Um, the reputation of like, how are you going to tell your ex-boyfriend from high school that you now have an, he was still trying to get back with me. I can't, I have a baby now. To the point where my daughter's father, who again, we were never going to forget. I was so afraid of what I wouldn't have in my life. I bought my own engagement ring Mm. and I asked him to put it on my finger. I rented a wedding dress and said, let's go get married. Now, two seconds, I didn't even want to talk to him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I bought my own engagement ring Mm -hmm. and rented a wedding dress and said, let's go get married. That's how much I wanted to cover up and was worried about what would no longer be true in my life because of that. And we'll talk about the rest of my career later. But at 36 years old, I was sitting at a development. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Conference. And you know, you, you we sit at these development conferences the corporations send you to and you're supposed to be like, yeah, someone, INFP, and right? And I started to cry. And it was one of those moments where your tears are being real disrespectful. And you're like, we're going to do this right now. This is not why are you trying to cry? Like, no, nah, not with all these black executives. We're not. And the facilitator noticed that I was emotional. So he pulled me to the side. He pulled me outside. And I was like, I don't know why I'm crying and I don't need you. I think I said something like that. And he was astute enough to give me time to process it. Here's what we concluded. This is 36 years old. I'm sitting at a very high level position in a Fortune 50 company. And what we realized in that conversation was that at the moment that I got pregnant, I stopped growing intellectually and I couldn't see where I was at 36 years old that in a career model that no matter what happens in your life, very few people get to, but here's what we figured out. Mm -hmm. I would spend every day from 17 to 36 going back on LinkedIn Mm -hmm to look up a girl I went to high school with who always told me she would go to Harvard and I wouldn't to see if I had a better job than her. To talk about every day, Mm. I would go back to see if I had a better job than her. From 17 to 36, I was stuck there. Mm. So when we talk about how I felt in that moment, Mm. 
I never grew out of it. I never grew out of it. How does Caroline Wonga unstick herself? Um, very late. Yeah. So I do, I go to Target. I end up doing an internship. They end up offering me a job at the end of that. I take it because then I don't have to worry about getting a job after I graduate. And I have this little girl to take care of. I then spend my time during, <laughs> I used to say I did my time in corporate. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I went down the corporate route was because I needed to have enough money to send her to college. Mm-hmm. And I was like, corporate people make lots of money and have 529, so I'm going to do that. So she can go to college. Because again, Caroline's not important, Dayton's is. And so that started my corporate career. And, and another point, we talk about kind of all those steps, but so I do my corporate career. And again, it's not as hefty, but I'm fueled by cadence, not by me. Mm-hmm. I'm not there because I want to be there. I'm there because I need to take care of her. So we go through that, this conference that I just talked to you about, right? So my daughter graduates from high school and goes to NYU. I had been in a 10 year relationship and we lived together. So when she left, he and I were still living together. And then we broke up and he moved out. Mm. That was around time. And for the first time in my life, Dottavio, I'd lived alone. I'd never lived alone in my life. Because I was at home. Yeah, home and then you had a baby, 17. Then I had it. I'm looking at them in the mirror at 36 years old and I have no idea who I am. Mm. And I am alone. And I don't know what to do. Mm. And so it was a pit. And people are like, oh, you're just empty nest. I'm like, they're like, you're sad about that. I'm like, no, I literally have no idea who this girl is. And so I just started trying to figure out who I was. Mm. I started trying stuff. I had no business trying. But I really just wanted to meet myself because I didn't know. And I hadn't processed there's going to be a point in time where she's going to grow up and you're not going to take care of her. I never processed that. And then I thought we'd, I'd be with this guy forever. So I was like, mm. okay, well, you, you know, you old girls. <laughs> Right. So I went into a really ugly place because mm. I, I didn't think I had a purpose in the world. I didn't climb out of that ugly place. I was pushed out. So I'm in corporate America. Daughter's going to college. Mm. I'm trying to find meaning. And I end up leading a black ERG at the Target Corporation. And for the first time, I meet the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Mm. And for me, it brought me, because I'm still paying for this joker to go to the super expensive school, so I can't quit. So, literally, I go, if I got to spend more time in corporate, that's the closest they got to a soul. Remember, I was a nonprofit girl. I was like, that's the closest corporate has to a soul. I'm going to do DNI. And I drew a map. This is the second time in my career I drew this map. And I said, I want to be this by this date. I said, by, J- by July 2018, I remember the map. I want to be the VP of DNI, and I drew a map of how, as an HR journalist, I could have different experiences to be ready for that. I showed it to my boss, my HR partner, and the person that had the job. And all I needed Target to do was tell me no. Mm. And they didn't say no, but they didn't say yes. Okay. <laughs> a year later, five years ahead of my plan, mm. they call and ask me to take the DNI job, and I have to suck it up longer you ask for it. So now my job is. Bring your authentic self to work. Mm. Come as you are. And I have spent how many years? Yeah, yeah. Getting rid of who I am. Yeah, yeah. It is the, a different version of imposter syndrome. Mm. Because. And we talk about imposter syndrome is just so that people know what is imposter syndrome. Worried they'll find out who you really are when you're being somebody else to be successful, good in your job, right? This fear that you live with that if I reveal particular components of myself, I will lose something, the job, the clout, the whatever. It can be an identity. It can be a education. Like it's just this fear that all of who I am won't keep this, mm-hmm. right? And it's an anxiety that's really detrimental. My version of it was, oh my God, it's not my job to tell people they can come and be all of who they are. And I don't know who I am mm. and I'm faking it. And I remember cardigans were the, were the victims. Cardigans? Cardigans. <laughs> the things you'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so I used to wear those all the time. Do you see this? Mm-hmm. This ain't cardigan nah, situation. Nah, nah, this this ain't what cardigans do. Right. And so I literally, I literally had been wearing these cardigans. I hated them. 
but I, I had a whole side of my closet that I was afraid to wear because I didn't think it would be accepted. Mm. And I remember I had micro braids in my hair. And I went to a shop one night, two day, two weeks into the job, because I was afraid they would discover that I was fake. Mm. And my job was to tell other people to come. And I went to the shop and I asked them to kite the micro braids at the knot. And I started locks. Because I was forcing my, when I say I was pushed out, I was forcing myself to do something drastic with my authenticity so that maybe I hurt myself before they hurt them. Mm. I think in the back of my mind, I thought I'd be fired and then I could be like, see, I shouldn't have been in. The opposite happened. I came to work and short of a couple of people who just don't know how to talk to people and like to touch you without permission, nobody cared. Mm. And I was like, oh. Mm. So then, Next week, it was blue lipstick. <laughs> Nobody cared. Oh! You're just testing the waters. Yeah. Just to tell. <laughs> Next week, show up in tool. <laughs> Nobody cares. Because <laughs> I'm the DNI girl. I can do whatever I want. I'm like, I, I went home one weekend after testing a couple times and took every cardigan I had. Mm out of my closet and burned it. I was going to say, I like, hope you burned it. I hope you burned that joint. <laughs> and I just sat there with like the evil Joker grin. That's perfect. And what that moment did yes. is it forced me yes. to get rid of everything yes. I had Start leaned over. back on. Mm -hmm. I had no idea if it would work. The first time I did some of those things, I spent a week avoiding my boss and I thought HR was coming to fire me. I scanned my badge like they cared what I did last night. And there were consequences, but they were bearable. And so what started to happen and how Caroline got unstuck, mm. and this is why we did I Wear Where I Am, my aesthetic was part of my liberation. Mm -hmm. It's such a lot, I, I, what I burned, mm -hmm. what I started to wear, mm -hmm. how it felt, and the fear it was existing with are so loud mm. to the reemergence. So now, ain't nobody coming for me as I show up at work like an adult princess yeah and my job lets me get away with it so i get obnoxious about it like let me tell y'all this right <laughs> and then i start having to talk and motivate people mm. and because i'm sitting in a different confidence my message lands better because i used to sit and watch all these really super powerful people give these inspirational speeches and they would talk like they've never made a mistake and I'll be like, well, where do the flawed flowers go? Because I'm never going to get to your success because you ain't never done nothing wrong. I'm over here failing five times by 10 a.m. So where is that room? Mm. And so I had committed that as I told my story and had this reemergence, I was committed to always tell the story as it happened with every ugly part. Amen. Because I remember being the Caroline who listened to perfect stories and removed herself from believing it could mm. be true. And so I said, at the very least... Somebody in there needs to hear mm -hmm. that failing five times a day doesn't mean you can't be successful. Mm -hmm. And having a kid, having a, becoming a mom before you're a legal adult doesn't have to stop you and not figuring out your career and just all that stuff. So I started telling stories in that way and people ate it up. Mm -hmm. I was changing people's lives with stuff where I was like, I'm just telling you what happened. They're like, you don't understand what you just did for me. Mm -hmm. And so what started to motivate me that was different from just being a mom was I started to be motivated by, I will never let somebody. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sit in front of me without saying what I'm supposed to say. It is not my job. If they needed to hear it, it's my job to say it and the universe will disperse it. So now my motivation was... Tell the whole story mm -hmm. as it happened mm -hmm. because somebody will need it mm -hmm. because you keep getting this feedback. Mm -hmm. So that reemergence of Caroline, to your point, was falling back in love with myself and the purpose that I had in the world, which ended up being authenticity. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, if I told you where my story started, mm -hmm. I was told there was nothing I couldn't do Absolutely. because of who I am. Absolutely. So getting reintroduced to that at almost 40 years old, mm -hmm. all I wish is that I'm so sad about how much of life I missed out on because of how long it took me mm -hmm. to get there. Mm -hmm. And my motivation every day is that if I can get every person I interact with to touch that earlier in life, 
and they can feel the liberation and joy that comes with tapping into that and existing in the world. That mm. I'm going to die doing it mm. because I know I would be in a very different place had I not gotten to that place. Mm. And gosh, if I'd have gotten to that place at 18, mm. what would be true and what I'm supposed to contribute to the world today? Mm. And I want everybody to get to that as soon as possible because it is the most liberating existence out there and nobody can take it from you. And what you feel like you can do, things you think you can do to a wall, the comfort you have with isolation, the engagement you get to have with yourself, the way that people interact with you because of what you contribute mm -hmm. is a formula that I want for all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in the morning when the introvert with low energy doesn't want to get up, I get up because today I got to go sit with my brother chief and I'm here for my brother chief, but I'm here for that. Mm -hmm. Amen. Whoever's over That's there. That's why I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. Whoever's over there. Those are the ones that matter. If it's one, I will not mm -hmm. refuse to do the things that may not be pleasant or appropriate or fair or bring judgment. Because if one person's life is saved that day, because I've thought about not being on this earth anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what happens to essence of Caroline chooses to take her life on that day. Mm -hmm. So for that one, mm -hmm. I get up every day. Thank you for sharing your full truth. Um, and you may not want to hear this. And I hear the, the, the idea, like, what if I would have discovered at 18? And I know that you already know this. But if you would have discovered it at 18 and you would have missed out on this entire journey and you would have missed out on this entire story and the one that you're trying to touch wouldn't have gotten to hear all that they just needed to hear from you. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where like, unfortunately, we got to go through the pain because it's through our pain and through our stories that we get to touch so many more lives. So thank you for sharing yeah, no your fullest truth um, no here problem. on this show. I wish that I could say that the story goes from where you just landed. We are now at a Carolina that has purpose, yeah. who has meaning, who has understanding, mm -hmm. who even if they're only getting up to change one person's life, it's reason enough to get up. Yeah. And you find yourself at essence. Oof. And what I know, because you and I had very similar experiences, I come to Revolt in June. You're de I'm dealing with George Floyd's death. Mm. I'm dealing with COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with quarantine. I'm dealing with a team I've never met before that I'm being tasked to leave. Yeah. I'm dealing with a CEO who left within four weeks of me getting there. God bless her heart. She adopted the baby. It was time for her to go. It was chaos. Mm -hmm. What I know about your start at Essence yeah was that it was also not easy. It's not like, oh, I discovered purpose and meaning and it was great and I jumped into this company. <laughs> that's cute. Right? That's what the book will say, but that's not right. You came during COVID. You came during an, an incredible um, internal challenge. Yeah. And so can you just talk to me a little bit about what your first few months at Essence? I will. So, so I resigned from Target, but I resigned a month before we announced it, right? We had decided we'd wait a month. So what ended up happening is when I announced I was departing Target as chief culture, diversity and inclusion officer, it was literally the week that they were burning Target stores down in mm. Minneapolis mm. because of George Floyd. Mm. Like that Monday that we I were supposed to announce was the week they were burning <laughs> the hell Target stores down mm. because of George. Floyd. And my job was D&I, so I had to have every solution. Like I was supposed to lead the company through this and they're burning our stores. Mm. And I'm like, I'm out. We contemplated changing that date. And I said, this thing is not going to be short. Mm -hmm. So you push it out. You're going to be pushing it out forever. Make the announcement. And I wasn't leaving for another month. So we had announced it. We worked through it. I'm supposed to start the job on a Monday. That Sunday. A the social, Sunday before you start. The Sunday before the Monday, I was mm -hmm. supposed to start the job. Mm -hmm a social media campaign about the workplace culture at essence and the people within essence drops. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to go to this job the next day. And I'm like, I start tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I thought about not coming. Mm -hmm. It just was too short of a notice. Mm -hmm. 
so I go in and we're in the middle of an, 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 an environmental scandal, right? Like, and many companies have gone through these things. So we're in the middle of a scandal. So again, because of the way that it was set up, the team that would have been reporting to me or helping me onboard was differently restrained for different reasons. Mm. So I'm over here, a girl with no background in media. I, I, I'm a retail girl mm. and a nonprofit girl over here trying to manage a scandal and then the, the content team's like what do you think about the cover i'm like the blue is pretty like i don't know that thing. right and so literally in hindsight it was a blessing it would did not feel that way in the moment the connection to why i came to essence and what that first few months was was solidified by the fact that I was the universe's choice to be the caretaker of this cultural artifact mm. in this time. Mm. And my work in diversity and inclusion and culture ended up being what I had to use those first three months. Mm -hmm. My media experience didn't have anything to do with it. Didn't even matter. Everything I had done in that DNI job is why I made it through those three months with the support of a village of people who were working on it. Mm -hmm. Because what I needed to do was get people to believe that we could get through this and we could fix this. Mm -hmm. I remember Rich and I did a post where I said in the post, I said, because we hadn't even introduced me to the community. In the post, I said something about, I am committed to making sure that we get this cultural artifact where it's supposed to be, but I'm going to need the time to make sure I do it right. Mm. And I was kind of saying like, don't, like you could throw the daggers, but you're not going to get a response. I got to go fix this and I'm going to fix it in the right way. So that three months was that. And then I remember towards the end of that three months, I started to lose a lot of confidence that now that we were starting to settle the things that that had brought forth, that I would be exposed differently and not qualified without the media experience. And I remember I called Rich one day crying and I said, Rich, I, I will not, mm. I will not allow this cultural artifact to be impacted by my lack of experience. Mm. I will give it back to you. We got through the scandal, but I don't think I can do this. I'm not the right girl. Mm. I don't know media. And I remember Rich telling me, that that's not what he hired me to do. Mm -hmm. I remember Rich telling me the way that I live my life is why he wanted me to be the next caretaker of this artifact. And in that moment, I was taken back to that mm -hmm. moment when I was 36 and decided to go on this journey to reemerge. And all I kept saying was the blessing of this servant leadership role I have to take care of this artifact was fueled by the moment when I forgot who I was mm. and decided instead of leaving this earth, I must stay committed to figuring out why I'm here. Had I not made that decision seven years before, the opportunity to be a shepherd of this cultural artifact that the world needs wouldn't be there. The potential that my five-year-old niece Io would grow up in a world without essence. Mm. Our, what, is, what does Ayo do when essence isn't there to remind her who she is? Mm. And so in that moment, in that conversation with Rich, I shifted what my contribution to this brand was supposed to be. It was to deliver what were our business and financial goals, but it was to be a shepherd. Mm of the place that 31 million black women call home and therefore what all their families and spouses and communities and culture needs to keep this place home. And every day. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. I consider myself to be honored to have been chosen to lead this cultural artifact through its next phase. And I am forever indebted mm -hmm. for the opportunity having been presented and what those first few months were despite what they were for the business, were necessary to jolt me into the consistency that comes with leaving a company 15 years 
and coming to another company that you don't have any experience in and realizing that had nothing to do with the companies. Mm. It was always you. Mm. So we're coming out of this space where you found purpose. You're operating at Target. You find a new opportunity at Essence. Walking into this incredible opportunity, it is a tumultuous experience. Rich tells you, you are the woman for the job. And sister, I've been watching you over the last two years, and it's clear you are the woman for the job. And so what I want you to do in this moment as we get ready to close down is to tell the people about the dream for Essence, the vision for Essence, what you're building for Essence. I can tell that the, the, the business is thriving. They're crushing it. You got the biggest, one of the biggest festivals in the world. The business is thriving. Where are you taking it, Queen? I often talk about things. I, one of the things I love about my journey the last couple of years is I just have this unmitigated gall to believe in a future that other people can't see. Mm. And I don't make them come with me, but I'll welcome them when they get there. Mm. Right. So here's what I will tell you. The vision is for not essence, the brand, but what the vision is for blackness mm. that essence plays a role in, but so does revolt mm. and the rest of the culture keepers to return blackness to greatness. Amen. And I say it that poignantly mm. because similar to my story and yours, when we get to the hard part, we forget there was a strong part. Mm. What has been true about our culture has many facets within it. But at the end of the day, we are greatness that has been pilfered and dissected and segregated for the sake of others to use its value. The goal, as we think about essence, the place that 31 million black women call home. And the reason we lean into the black woman is not because the black man is not important and not because black community is not important. We're talking to the CEO mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of home culture and community in the same way we talking as CEOs mm -hmm. and we talk to see there is something that comes with being a CEO mm -hmm. that demands respect and expects excellence and drives change and makes money. Mm -hmm. So we talk into the CEO of corporation, black culture mm -hmm. and black home and black community. And so when we say we're engaging with the 31 million people that call essence home, it's their entire ecosystems will benefit from that investment because she guides, directs, protects, narrates, shares, gives, takes from that community. And when we talk about what we want to do with her, one is reminding her that that is her positioning. So she starts to operate from it, mm. starts to operate from it. But secondly, ensuring that in repositioning her to operate in that way, she understands the role that this brand will play with the most important currency we have with her, which is her trust. Mm. So what is Essence going to be doing? We will be focusing on not sharing the culture with her, but spotlight and strengthening how she is the deliverer of it and returning it to her with the right value. When we talk about equity, we are not talking about she lacks something. We're saying we're going to start distributing the keys to the doors that have been locked that finish the acumen journey for her to reach her financial goals or health goals or wealth goals or whatever. We're going to do unapologetic celebration. Mm. We done dumbing the party down because somebody's here who didn't Google it. Google it. We doing what we do is blackly, blackly, black, black. And we spend our lives having to Google, which I'll do that. We don't understand. You can come, but bring your thesaurus because we got work to do. And we're going to celebrate the fact that your child got potty trained and you can finish your coffee while it's hot as much as we will celebrate a black woman being in the White House and everything in between. And we'll do it with half a million people in New Orleans in the same way we'll do it between two people in the comments on Instagram. We're giving our platform away. And then diasporic intent. Mm -hmm. We will reconnect the disconnected diaspora. Mm -hmm. That is the last power stage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We agree. That is the last. That was disconnected because of how powerful it was. We will reconnect it through the means of what we have in media and all of these other ways that we do it. We will do it in cooperation with our other fellow mm -hmm. culture keepers. This is not competitive. y'all. We all have a place to be. But most importantly, my brother, and I know you agree with this. Mm. We will do the work to create a generational black wealth story mm. that gives us the ability to have the currency of thriving 
And what we then do is sit guide and guardian against partners and entities that simply want to use our culture to advance their bottom line and instead say, I'm not giving you impressions, I'm giving you impact. And if you don't want to come, I'm happy to give you directions to somebody else's house. Mm. So when I talk about what we want to do with Essence in this phase, we want to solidify her position as CEO, honor the legacy, but drive the future so that for the next 50 years, you have not the place 31 million black women call home. What you have is a place that 31 million CEOs show their wealth. Mm. And we have Afropunk within what we do that is about our black folks that have often felt in the margins. And we've got BeautyCon that is about changing the way that color is looked at in the world of beauty. And we've got studios that is about delivering content that matters to us. And we've got Naturally Curly that mm. teaches us how to live with our different hair textures. And then we've got our brothers and our families and our children and our daughters that we will make what Essence does, what Essence creates and what Essence delivers the safest and richest place to be black. Mm. I don't even want to speak after that. He's going to let that sink for a second. I'll die trying. Mm -hmm. One last question for you. That was a dream and the vision based on essence. I want to close by tapping into your personal journey. One of the reasons why I believe that Black people are such incredible cultural innovators is because we come from a place where our culture was destroyed. If you live in Africa and they put you on a ship, your culture is destroyed. They drop you off in a country, in a continent you're not. Your culture is destroyed. Every time you build, they burn it down. Your culture is destroyed. And so what we have built is a capability yeah. of creation and innovation. True. What I hear in your story is, is a very similar thing. Yeah. Someone who came to this country knowing that they could be anything and then having that destroyed. Yeah. Someone who was told they had all the potential in the world and then had a baby and then boom, all of that being destroyed. Um, we wake up at th 36 years old and we're still trying to find identity and purpose. The last thing that I want you to do for our audience today, if you have any wisdom, any thoughts, any guidance for those people who are looking for purpose, for those people who have lost a sense of identity, for those people who are trying to find their way, for someone who comes from a lineage and an ancestry of people who have been doing it for hundreds of years, and for someone who has had to do it multiple times in your own lifetime. The first thing I would say is never forget we're still drinking from the same well. Mm -hmm. Whatever your path to where you are in the world led from, it came from a royalty on a continent whose power still exists in you. You may not be able to find it and see it. The water we drink is from the same well. Mm. So part of it is put somewhere in your life the priority of going back to find out what was the story before mm. the disruption. That could be your personal story before disruption. That could be lineage. But just invest in that because I want you to find the point where the page turned. And learn the story before that, just so you know what going back to it could look like. Mm. Returning blackness to greatness is not about going to a place we've never been. It's going to the place that was hidden, taken away from mm. us. Mentally, physically, spiritually, right? The fact that we're so dissected is because of how powerful it was when it was connected. Mm -hmm. So make a personal mission to do something that shows you what may have been true before the disruption happened, the disruption of your psychology your spirit, your person, your something. Mine was at 36, and what I got reminded of is what it felt like to be nine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It can come in many ways. Make a commitment. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I would say, and this is a quote that I use often, and I say it because I believe it and I lived it. We have to start to be non-negotiable in who we are and negotiate the where. Mm -hmm. Who you are is who you are. If you cannot be who you are, where you are, mm. you change where mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you are, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not who you are. Mm -hmm. And if we start to operate in that way, the where's will accommodate the who's. Mm -hmm. And the reward of walking into a where, mentally, physically, geographically, with the full power of your who, is what unleashes 
the purpose you were born to deliver in the world mm -hmm. that nobody can fulfill but you. And if you choose not to go after it, the world goes without. And then what is wrong when the world goes without what you have to offer? Those that came before us created a baton that we do not have permission to leave where we picked it up. Even if it moves forward three inches, you need to move it forward. Otherwise, you've wasted your time. Mm -hmm. Find it. It's there. Own it. Don't negotiate it. Change the wear. My sister, my queen, I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you for reminding us that there's greatness in our DNA and in our lineage. Thank you for reminding us that when we get lost along the journey, that all we have to do is go back to our origin story. For many of us, that origin story is our own lifetime. Mm -hmm. For those of us who can't even find it in our lifetime, there's a long lineage of kings and queens and places for you to go discover. Thank you for reminding us that anything is possible that you can go from immigrant to single mother to running the baddest black platform for black women globally, period. Thank you for reminding us that there's nothing that can stop us when we put our mind to it. And even more so, thank you for reminding us that it's okay to be stuck every now and then. Thank you for reminding us that it's okay to not be thriving 365, 24-7. Some days are literally just about survival. If we can survive that one day, then we give ourselves the opportunity to thrive the next. And when we thrive the next, we have the opportunity to impact the world. My sister, my queen, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you, brother, for making a safe space for a sister to be vulnerable. And that is a lesson in and of itself. And if we do this more on the days when you're just trying to survive, somebody else floats for you. You floated for me today. And I'm honored and grateful for the safety to do. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.